Good morning. Well, it's always a joy to uh, witness baptism, uh, especially earlier when you saw Joyce, right? I think she's somewhere here. You know, when I first got to know her, she's like really short. And uh, my kids and Pastor Elaine's kids, we will go after Sunday worship, we will, they will learn swimming together. So Joyce will come along and she doesn't swim. So I'm the only one left to entertain her. I have to coax her into the water. And so when she was willing to be immersed, it's actually a miracle. I wanted to hold her down a bit longer, you know, but I scared she get tra- tra- traumatic <laughs> experiences. So anyway, she survived. Um, but this is part of the story, I think, that we were talking about this year. If God is re- re- writing the greatest love story ever told, He wants to use our lives to continue writing the story. And the question is, are we willing to let Him? And so I want to encourage you to join our journey onward this week and next week, which is after worship. This week we are talking about from creation to Christ. Next week is from Christ to recreation. How do we allow God to use our lives to write His love story? So from January to April, we're going to look at... Okay, that projector spoil, so I need to turn around. We're going to look at... Um, this is the series from January to April. The events are recorded in the Old Testament that are significant. But not to just look at them. But we understand that when Revelation is complete, when the Bible is complete, we look back at these events through the lenses of the cross. The very fact that Jesus died and resurrected, how does it help us to understand these incidences better, these events better? So in January, we look at events of creation. uh, Those that are not highlighted are important, but we are not touching on them. Um, In January, we will look at the family. Genesis 12 is really where the book of Genesis begins. Before that is the preface. Here he slows down to talk about the family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And in the midst of this Joseph account, which is the longest story in the Genesis, strangely, it talks about Judah and Tamar. Why? That's what we would like to explore. And you know, by the end of Genesis, the one that has the promise of the king is not Joseph, but Judah. Alright, then we continue. Uh, you want to understand more, you come for a journey onward later. Then the third one in March, we'll look at the people and the land. What some of the significant events, and especially Joshua leading the people in the promised land, which becomes a motif for Yeshua, Jesus leading us as new covenant believers into the promised land, the new heavens and the earth. And then finally in April, we'll talk about uh, the, the king and the prophets, especially focusing on the covenants. God administers his relationship with his creation through covenants. The first a rainbow covenant is uh, by, with Noah. And then we have covenant with Abraham. And then with David. And finally, with the new covenant. Okay, so we'll talk about this later in Journey Onwards. Uh, and next week is more about how God will use our lives to write His story. So today, we want to look at the creation account. What is it really all about? Especially through the lenses of the cross. Let's pray. Father, we commit this time to you. Pray for Holy Spirit to speak to us that we'll see Christ lifted up and you glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there was a town in this family. In this little town of a family, there are two kids, two young boys, 10 years old and 8 years old. And they're highly, extremely mischievous. So whenever something happens uh, in town, some mischief being done, the parents will assume that their kids were involved. One day, there was a past, new pastor in town and he has a reputation of being able to deal with children. So the mother made an appointment with him. In the morning, her younger son will go see him. In the afternoon will be the older boy. 
And so the eight year old boy went to the pastor's office, sit in the big armchair. And this pastor was a big man with a deep voice. And he asked him, Where is God? So the boy was stunned. He didn't know what to say. And then the man said sternly, Where is God? And finally, he stood up and shook his fist and bellowed in his face, Where is God? And the boy screamed. He bolted out of the door, ran home, got to his home, slammed the, room of his, the door of his room and hid in the closet. Now, of course, his older brother was concerned. So older brother went to look for him in the closet and says, What happened? And he says, Dude, we are in big trouble. God is missing. And they think we did it. You know, we live in a culture today that seems to have lost God. Truths seems to be unclear. Everyone claims to have truths. When it comes to morality and values, there are many voices. If you think about it, we live in a time in human history that is most prosperous, most well-educated, uh, have good technology for people to connect, and yet, there are more loneliness and isolation. A sense of meaninglessness. We are busy, yet hopeless. And that comes out in different ways. A college girl looks herself in the mirror and says, I'm overweight. You know, by the standards of the world, I'm nobody. My family is in a mess. I'm just an average student. And then she takes a, a little blade and begins cutting herself so that she can feel the sense of being alive. A man who's working overseas, after a long day's work, is all alone in his hotel room. He thinks, my wife no longer cares about me. My children are out of the house. My career is a dead end. And so he swipes through his app, trying to look for a woman that night. Maybe he can have some hours of pleasure. A housewife pours herself a drink. It's only 10 a.m. in the morning. It's a fifth cup. My husband has his business. My children have their school. What do I have? Thankfully, I can still watch my K-drama. A man lost his job. For a few years, he couldn't find a, a new job. His children in their teenage years no longer respects him. His wife constantly berates him. Go out and get a job. He says, I go to church, I put on a smile, but nobody knows my struggle. Look at them. They have successful marriages, good careers, good children. I am a loser. So he puts a bullet into the chamber of his gun and loads it. In the face of chaos, chaos in our homes, our marriages, our careers, sometimes we feel hopeless and we want to check out. And that comes out in different ways. I shared in the pastor's voice, right? In China, there's this phenomenon of tanping. Basically, they check out of life because all the hustling don't seem to bring them anywhere and they just give up. What do we do when we find ourselves painted in the corner, we're covered with darkness and chaos and we feel hopeless? How do we find hope? That is what I'd like us to think about today when we look at Genesis 1 and John 1. We'll see the source of hope and the reason for hope. The source of hope and the reason for hope. Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The Bible begins with this statement, There is God. 
It doesn't explain where God comes from, when God began. It presupposes God. So it shows us there is a God He created. There is a purpose to creation. And God is not part of His creation. He's apart from it. The question is, why is this story recorded? Genesis 1-1 tells us who God is. Verse 2 onwards explain what God did. Now remember at this point, the Israelites had just spent 430 years as slaves in Egypt. Now they came up to follow this God into the promised land and they need to know who is this God. And so God says there's God and then He says the earth was formless and void. The word formless and void is tohu bohu or formless and void is tohu vabohu. It represents chaos, emptiness. And you see God goes on to fill, to bring order out of chaos to Feel the emptiness with his life. The creation account tells us God redeems chaos. So if we go on and we read, it says every day what happened. First three days, they co- they, God created day, night, sky, sea, the land. The next three days, he fills them with life. The sun and the moon, the birds and the, the fish, the animals, and then finally man as the goal and the crown of creation. And so when we read Genesis, often we ask this question, is it really God created in six literal days? Or is it metaphorical? Or is it God choose to reveal to Moses in six days, but actually is not? Now you know to me, that is not even a question. Because the hardest question is, do you believe in there's a God? A God who's omniscient, who's omnipresent, who's omnipotent. If you believe, then whether He created in 24 hours or not 24 hours is not a problem, right? Did God create the chicken first or the egg first? Well, God created Adam fully aged. Did He create a baby? God can do anything He wants. And so the, the harder question is, do you believe in God? And if you do, then the rest is not a problem. And the whole purpose of the Genesis account is not to tell us how God created, whether it's 24 hours or not. The whole purpose is to tell us who God is and what He did. He filled the void with His life. He brought order out of chaos and that becomes a motive of what God will do in our lives. Let's go on to read the Genesis account. At the apex of God's creation, He says on the sixth day, then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Even though God is one, he uses a plural form. He says, let us. And so this is the beginning of what we see later will become the, the idea, the concept of God as Trinity. We are made in the image of God. We are not animals. We are separated from animals. God blessed them, told them what they need to do. Verse 31, God saw all that He made and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Now it's interesting in Scripture when it describes the day. There's evening, then there's morning. To us, when does the day end? And night, right? Night, evening, sleep. But in the Hebrew mindset, the day ends when day breaks. And so in our lives, in the darkest time, you, you, you must realize that dawn is just around the corner. No matter how dark your life is, don't worry because... Light will eventually penetrate darkness. It says, very good. Every day God says, good, 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 good. The last day He says, very good. Mot tov. What's very good? The creation, 
of human beings so that God can enjoy the relationship with us. And hence, in the conclusion of the first, the first creation account, he says, verse 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed His work which He had done. He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it He rested from all His work which God had made and created. Now, does God need to rest? No need, lah, right? So why did He rest? Because He wants to enjoy the relationship with His creation, with human beings. And you see, God, after this, human beings, we fell into sin. The relationship with God is broken. And God started His redemptive plan to bring us back. And hence, in the book of Revelation, right at the end of time, Scripture tells us, Then I saw new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth passed away. There is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be among them. The tabernacle of the temple represents the presence of God amongst His people. And so, at the end of time, the new heaven and earth, John sees this vision of God coming down to be with His people. And so friends, when we look at the whole entire scripture, entire human history, God is only doing one thing. What? To bring us back to Him through Christ. And if God is only doing one thing, the question is, how many things are we doing with our lives? In this whole series, you know, you realize though, I don't talk about in sermons, are how do you have faith? How do you face stress? I say all these are very good. You know, but a lot of people talk about it so you can go and listen. You know? This series is not about we must be like Abraham and have faith. We must be David, love God. I don't think so because I believe in the Bible there's only one hero. He's the central figure of all history. The true Lord and Savior and His name is Jesus Christ. And friends, if God is only doing one thing in history, there is redeeming us back to Him, we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing with our lives? As human beings, we are made in the image of God. That means we have responsibility for others. How do we look at people who are different from us? Do we value them based upon their outlook, their their dressing, their jobs? Or based on that they are made in the image of God, that there's inherent dignity. And so Nietzsche the well-known uh, atheistic philosopher of the 19th century, he said, uh, this is a historian who wrote about him, he says, the greatest skeptic of Christianity is Frederick Nietzsche. And he had enough sense of the past to understand the cultural crisis that the fading of Christian faith would bring about. He also had good manners to despise Christianity for his devotion to ethic of compassion. He hated Christianity, principally on the account of his enfeebling solicitude for the weak and outcasts. Basically, he says the Christian faith encourages people to respect the poor, have compassion. And this is actually uh, causing the whole society to become weak. And so he despised the faith. And he knew Western civilization had gotten this idea of the importance of caring for the weak and the downcast from Christianity. And so he started this movement called God is Dead. But I know his conclusion is, I don't like this. He looks at his friends around him who are atheists but yet they pursue human rights 
to help others. And you know, he tells them, he says, you guys are covert Christians. Because in a completely materialistic world, we do not have to help the poor and the weak. That is nature. So what he's trying to say, what we are saying is that it's not that people who don't believe in God are immoral or don't have compassion. Oftentimes, they have great compassion for fellow human beings. What we are saying is, if you do not believe in God, your morality and values do not have a basis or foundation that is consistent with your world view. Conversely, if we believe we are made in the image of God, how do we look at other people? How do we treat others? Do we judge people based on the outward appearance? What value they bring to me? And if we are struggling in our own lives, if in your work, your marriage, your, your family, you, there's chaos, chaotic, a mess, we must understand that we are made in the image of God and God is the one who redeems chaos. He will bring order out of chaos. He will give life to emptiness. That is our source of hope. And we know that we have the reason for hope because of Jesus. John 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. The life was then was the light of men, and light shines into the darkness. Darkness did not comprehend it. Now, what is John saying? I mean, if, if you're honest, after reading, you say, I don't know what he's talking about. We won't understand unless we understand the creation account. Because John deliberately uses the creation motif in the Gospel of John to tell us that this God who created is Jesus. What He did in creation, He will do in our lives. So it says, in the beginning was the Word. Right? When God spoke, creation came into being. He said when God spoke, this Word is Christ. He will go on the rest of the Gospel to prove it. The Word was God. Nothing came to a being apart from Him. All creation came about because God spoke. All creation came about because of Christ. In Him was the life. God filled all the emptiness with life, with His life. He says, this life is in Christ. The light shines in darkness. God said, let there be light and there was light. Light shone into darkness. He says, this light that shines into the darkness is Christ. So unless we understand what creation is all about, actually we don't really understand John 1. That is why the Apostle Paul says, For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It says in the creation account, let there be light to bring chaos, to bring order out of chaos, life into emptiness. It says this is what God will do through Christ in our lives. To the believers, it says God has already done this in your hearts. He has shown light into darkness. And that is why Jesus, or rather the Apostle Paul continues to say, he says that, and therefore we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing. Despite the chaos we feel, despite the challenges we feel, we can continue to have hope because that is what Christ does in our lives. To bring order out of chaos, to give life to emptiness. And Christ said, I came to give life and life abundantly. We often treat this abundant life as a long life, as good life. But that is not what Jesus meant. 
You know, in Greek, there are two words for life. Bios and zoe. Bios, biological life. Your breath. And so if that is the, what he intends, that we have, abundant life means long life, he would have used bios. Instead, he used the word zoe, which is a more encompassing word. When it talks about salvation, talks about eternal life, spiritual life, zoe. Of course, it also encompasses biological life. And so what is abundant life? It's not certainly not because we have more breaths. Life is not measured by the number of breaths we take. Abundant life is when we know our Creator and as a result, be able to impact others because of this life. So friends, if from Christ to creation is the greatest love story God is writing. God wants to use our lives to continue to write that love story. The question is, are we willing to surrender the pens of our lives for Him to write? Or do we grab onto it and not let go? So the Apostle Paul continues to say, the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again. Since Christ died for all of us, those of us who believe, we also die. Die in the sense that we no longer live for ourselves. And why do we do this? Because of the love of Christ. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. We don't judge people by the flesh or according to the standards of the world. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, Yet now we know Him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creature. The old is past. Behold, new things have come. The word new creature is new creation. So when we read the Genesis account of creation, it is to show that this is a God who created, who brings order out of chaos, life out of emptiness, to give us a purpose in life. And this is what He does for us through Christ. So friends, when we wrestle with chaos, sometimes you feel life is very chaotic. Right? Work, family. Sometimes we feel out of control. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed. But we know that this God, who is the author of our lives, is this love that controls us, that, that pushes us towards Him to allow Him to write the stories of our life. He wants to redeem the chaos in life. Brian Sumner is a, a professional skateboarder. No, he didn't know there's such a thing. At 13, he fell in love with skateboarding. And says before that, you know, he felt like he was just existing. But after that, when he picked up skateboarding, he felt that was re real life. By 15, he had those major sponsors giving him free products, you know, to recommend, to sell. So he decided to move to the States to to pursue it professionally. He said, things happened quickly. Before long, the sponsors were supporting him. He was enjoying his life, but, you know, he got to meet friends who, who drank, who smoked weed, and that became his life. This is a lot of what he did. He felt a lot of emptiness and, and a sense of anger. Got into fights, arguments. Finally, at 19 years old, he fell in love. They said we were crazy. He said we were crazy in love. We went away to Las Vegas, uh, saw the first chapel, and we got married. And then they had a baby. Sumner said, we felt we were ready for this baby. But when the child came, 
all our attention turn from our passion to parenthood. He said, drain them of their life. And at that time, he was traveling to different parts of the world for competition. Money was pouring in, but he was always getting into arguments with the woman he loved. So if you come to my house, there are, the walls are filled with holes that I've punched. I hurl insults and spit at her. Why is it like that? Isn't this my dream? My dream job? A woman that loves me. And we have a family, a wonderful child. But yet, everything I do is tainted with emptiness. Eventually, he divorced his wife. Got into indulging in drugs, sex, drink. He even came to a point where he contemplated suicide. And then he began to think about God. See, he grew up across his home, there was a church. He has never been to the church. But he thought, is there really a God? Otherwise, what is the purpose of everything that I do? So he got a book uh, by Lee Strobel called Case for Christ. He said, I read the book to disprove God. Because if God does not exist, it means that the emptiness I feel is legitimate. If God does not exist, then I can do anything I want. The choices I've made that hurt the people that I love can be justified. But the more he read, the more he, he felt that Christ is real. So he said every night he'll spend hours praying on his knees. He'll repent, cry out to God, and he says, God, I want to know you are real. I want to experience you because how can I follow you the rest of my life if I don't? And then he says, one night something happened. I felt the presence of God of holiness, of purity, of love, and I just broke down. The burden on my heart was lifted. The emptiness was filled. He says, God can be known in such an intimate way, and yet I do not know Him for such a long time in my life. And the people around me don't know Him. And so his life began to change. You know, even his ex-wife realized it, noticed it, and eventually she also became a Christian. He says, one day, we turned up in our pastor's house. We decided to get remarried. And that night when I look at my wife, I realize she's not just the woman I love, but she is a child of God. I realize both of us are fallen creatures. We are not perfect. We are on this journey together. And so today, I still love skating, but I no longer skate for money or for fame, but for Christ. Christ is first, and I am second. Now, what about us? Who is first in our lives? If God is writing the greatest love story ever told, are you willing to let Him hold the pen of your life to author your story, to write it into part of His love story for others? And I know what Sumner's shared is true because I've seen it again and again repeated in the lives of people and myself. You know, the college girl <clears throat> who cuts herself, eventually someone invited her to church she realized that she's not valued. She understood the gospel. She's not valued based on how she looks, you know, her results, but how God looked at her through Christ. So she poured herself into her fellowship, into serving people. The man who was lonely overseas, instead of swiping left, he, he called his pastor. They prayed. Eventually, he quit his job and found a job that didn't need him to travel so much. He says, even though now I earn much lesser, but I'm much happier because I have time with my family, even have time to come to church. The housewife who is lonely, someone extended an invitation to a Bible study. She went, 
eventually she became a Christian. And she realized, no, life is not just about K-drama, even though there's no problem watching K-drama. Life, abundant life, is knowing God and allowing Him to use her life. And so she reaches out to housewives who are in similar situation with her. The man who loaded the bullet in his gun, unfortunately, he followed through with his plan. Uh, in my old church in the States, right? He waited till his, uh, it was church retreat. His kids went for church retreat. His wife went some, uh, out of state to work. He bought a tarp, a big carpet, mat. He placed it in his backyard. You know, he was very considerate for the people who packed his body. Placed it in the backyard, stood out there and blew his brains out. You know, until today, his children still don't dare to go for church retreat. His wife doesn't know how to move on. The brothers in his small group are guilt-stricken because they thought, maybe we have been friends for decades. Did we miss something? Could we have stopped it? And so if there's anyone in our midst, you feel hopeless, that as if that is the only way out, it is not. Dawn is right around the corner. Light will penetrate darkness. That is what Christ desires to do for us. And so reach out to somebody, cry out to God. I know the story is true because I've seen it in my own life. The anger, the chaos, they're turned around. I mean, you know how I was saved, so I quickly give you an overview. When I was in the army, every time I book out, I will go and learn sign language so I can talk to the deaf people because I felt like I did a lot of bad stuff so I better balance with good deeds. You know, there was a girl in class I was interested in, but she was not. She said, I'm a Christian, I don't date non-Christian. And she gave me a track. Oh, thank, thank God for a principled person. I took that track, I read it, the sinner's prayer. I actually prayed it one dark night. After I read it, uh, I bought a Bible. I read until Chronicles, you know, they walk in the desert, they kill each other, don't know what they're talking about. I found a book, Christianity and Christ, that a friend of mine gave me when I was 14. That was seven years before that. He had become a Christian, didn't dare to share the gospel with me in case I scold him. He gave me that book. I, I filed it away for many years. Then I went to Thailand, you know, I got lost in the jungle. I cried out to Jesus, I said, if you're God, lead me out of this place. When I go back to Singapore, send someone to share the gospel with me and I'll believe. I walked out, a few weeks later I got home. The first day, someone knocked on the door. I opened, he was a street evangelist. I said, I don't believe in this thing, okay? And life moved on. I prayed again and eventually I got an envelope from my college. I poured out, the first thing came out was a Christian camp. So I decided to go for this camp. But I didn't want to be the only non-Christian there, so I pulled a friend along. He's, I knew him since kindergarten, okay? But he uh, totally doesn't live like a Christian. And he thought he also did a lot of bad things, so the only good thing in life he could do was accompany me. So we went together. You know, today he's a pastor too. Anyway, both of us went. Uh, okay, I heard the sermon. I told God, after these six months of seeking, of reading, intellectually, I can accept the existence of God, but emotionally, I cannot. I was too prideful to admit that I need a saviour. So I asked God to humble me. The next morning, I got up, there was a, they gave me a senior, I, I don't know him, he was praying, and then he asked me, do you want to accept Christ? I asked, why do you ask me this question? He says, because the Holy Ghost touched him. I said, ah, ghost? <laughs> but anyway, I prayed, after praying, he said, okay, now you're a Christian. I said, how come no lightning, no thunder, God never speak? No feeling, you know? I went for morning worship, the sermon was on John 21, you know? Jesus went to look for Peter after he resurrected, asked him, do you love me? Peter said, yes. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And again, I prayed. I said, God, look at these Christians, all so emo. They sing songs, oh, like very shook. But I have no feeling. 
I said, did I make a mistake? Because I, I knew at the time, this was the most important decision of my life. But I know feeling. And I tell you, in the response song, I don't know how to describe except the words of Brian Sumner. He says, there's a sense of holiness, purity, and love. And I just broke down. I said, if God, you really uh, love me like that, then I want to be like Peter. Whatever you tell him to feed your sheep, what it means, I don't know what it means, but I want to do that. And you know, from that day, I knew that one day I'll end up in full-time ministry. I cannot explain it, okay? I don't have theology, my theology together, but I just understood it. Okay, why did I share this, with you this story? How did I become a believer? Because a girl was principled enough not to date me and gave me a tract. Because someone bothered to knock on doors to share the gospel. Because a friend decided to accompany me to a Christian thing as the only decent thing he can do. Because someone were praying, responded to the prompting of the Spirit and asked me. Because someone organized a camp, because someone preached, because someone led worship. And you know what? All of us, we can be any one of this person throughout the process. One who testifies to others because of your loving acts. One who is obedient to God to hand out a tract. One who is obedient enough to open your mouth to share the gospel. One who, like my friend at 40 years old, gave me a book. One who responds to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and, and asks, do you want to accept? If God is only doing one thing throughout human history, He's writing the greatest love story ever told and He wants us to be part of that story. The question for us is, are we willing? Let us pray. Let's come before God in 2023. It's the year we say we will proclaim Christ. And as God is writing the greatest love story ever told, in creation, to bring order out of chaos, life out of emptiness. And if you and I have experienced that, are you willing to let God be the author of your life? Take this time.